This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. I'm Suzanne Moniak, CQ Roll Call's immigration reporter, filling in for Jason Dick this week. Imagine this scenario. A person fleeing violence in Central America makes a dangerous journey through Mexico to the U.S. border. After crossing the border, the migrant searches for a border agent to make a claim for asylum on U.S. soil. As recently as 2019, this person would have been given a preliminary screening to evaluate their eligibility for protection and, if cleared, the chance to pursue a U.S. immigration case. However, for nearly a year and a half now, that door has been firmly closed by a public health directive known as Title 42, which allows border agents to swiftly expel migrants who cross the border without considering their asylum claims. Implemented in March 2020 as COVID-19 cases spread across the U.S., the expulsion policy has been panned by humanitarian advocates who accuse the government of using public health as a pretext to shut out desperate asylum seekers. The Biden administration, however, has insisted the policy is necessary to curb the spread of COVID-19 amid record-high migration levels. Of the roughly 1.3 million migrants encountered from October through July, nearly 865,000 have been expelled under Title 42, mostly single adults. Despite the policy, the number of migrants coming to the border has continued to rise. Agents logged more than 210,000 migrant crossings in July alone, according to data released by Customs and Border Protection. Here with us today is Chris Ramon, an independent immigration consultant who has worked with the Migration Policy Institute, George W. Bush Presidential Center, and other think tanks. He's here to unpack the Title 42 policy and its impact on both the border and on Washington. Thanks for coming on the show, Chris. Thank you. So one thing both sides can agree on is that immigration is a divisive issue. This specific policy, Title 42, came into being in March 2020 as COVID-19 began to spread across the U.S. As a candidate, President Biden really slammed uh, President Trump's asylum policies. Why do you think that Biden not only kept Title 42 in place, but renewed it indefinitely? I think the the, the reason is that coming into uh, this year, what you started seeing at the U.S.-Mexico border was an increase in uh, encounters with individuals at the border. Um, so this is sort of a pretty complex flow because part of it is, you know, unaccompanied children and families who've been coming from Central America, but also single adults who are trying to do repeat crossings into the U.S.-Mexico border um, because Title 42 doesn't have any penalties for being able to reenter the United States in the future. So this context where you start seeing the increase in encounters, I think, led the Biden administration to sort of say, okay, we're just going to lean on Title 42 for a little while um, as we're trying to transition to the new to whatever new system that we're developing for processing asylum seekers at the U.S.-Mexico border. But obviously, you know, we know how things turned out, that you started seeing an increase in encounters in February and March, and that's continued forward. And so I think that the Biden administration uh, renewed Title 42 
because of the increase in the encounters, and they wanted to basically deter individuals from coming to the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, the tool really has been used as a deterrence tool, particularly for asylum seekers, um, even though it's grounded on um, healthcare law. So I think that the Biden administration is viewing Title 42 in the same way that the Trump administration did, which is this is the most effective way to deter individuals from coming to the U.S.-Mexico border and trying to clamp down and control it. Right. So obviously, you know, that's two presidential administrations using this legal authority as their border management tactic. Is, am I correct that this policy is somewhat historically unprecedented, though? Like, had this legal authority been used in this way before Trump did it? Not really. I mean, for, for folks at home, uh, you know, the program is based on a part of healthcare statute. It's actually not in the Immigration and Nationality Act. It's in healthcare statute that allows um, authorities to basically prevent the entry of individuals into the country, um, you know, under the, 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 the pretense that there might be a spread of communicable diseases. And certainly, you know, it's been there. But in terms of the way that's being used now specifically for expulsions of individuals from the U.S.-Mexico border is a major innovation that the Trump administration did. It's not unlike, say, for instance, uh, the Remain in Mexico policy or the Migrant Protection Protocols, as it's formally known, that, tie, that you basically tapped into a part of the Immigration and Nationality Act. Uh, that had been used for um, holding Canadians uh, in Canada as their, you know, as their immigration cases are being processed in the United States. That was reappropriated for making asylum seekers wait in Mexico during the duration of their cases. So this is, I think, part of the pattern of what we saw with the Trump administration, which is finding parts of uh, the U.S. legal code um, and then using that to develop policies to deter and expel or remove asylum seekers from the U.S.-Mexico border um, during the, the duration of its four years in power. And for those who aren't familiar, the Migrant Protection Protocols was a policy in place before Title 42 requiring asylum seekers to wait in Mexico for decisions in their U.S. immigration court cases. But that policy was put on hold with the start of the pandemic and with implementation of the Title 42 expulsion order. It's occurred to me that part of Biden's motivation um, might be just about optics of being soft on the border. How would you kind of compare Biden and Trump's views and policies toward border enforcement, given that they are both using this Title 42 order? Do you see differences? Yeah, I, I think the, the, the key difference um, actually isn't necessarily in terms of how he's viewing, Biden's viewing Title 42. Um, I think the key difference between Biden and Trump is how they view the role of Mexico in controlling migration to the U.S.-Mexico border. Because, you know, Trump, you know, threatened Mexico with tariffs if they didn't increase the clampdown of migrants in uh, 2019. And you saw, um, you know, President um, Andres Manuel López Obrador uh, push immigration authorities to begin clamping down on migrants coming into Mexico. Um, what you've seen is President Biden actually has also in, entered into an informal agreement with uh, President uh, López Obrador to also increase migration enforcement at the Mexican-Guatemalan border. But in contrast to Trump, who really leaned in saying that we're having Mexico clamp down migrants, what you've been seeing is that the Biden administration really isn't hinting that. They're almost presenting themselves as sort of the virtuous partner that's going to try to process asylum seekers while leaving Mexico with the enforcement work. And I think that's really the key difference is that they're willing to use Mexico for the same purposes, but the way that they're framing it is different. Um, 
Title 42, if you look at how it's being used and the way it's being messaged, um, you know, there, there, there's some tangible differences in the sense of how it's being framed. Uh, but I do think the bigger story isn't how Title 42 is being used by the two administrations. I think the bigger story is how they're using Mexico to control migration. And that's where I think the biggest divergence lies. No, that's really interesting. So you see this more as sort of a difference in foreign policy posture than domestic policy? Yes, yes. Because I think at this point, what you're seeing is both administrations are using Title 42. Both administrations... Uh, maybe messaging how they're using Title 42 a little bit differently, but at the end point, they're maintaining the same policy um, and discussing it publicly. I think when it comes to Mexico and cooperation with Mexico on immigration, that's where the big divergence lies. Because the, the Biden administration will talk about mutual cooperation with Mexico to address migration. You see the readouts from uh, these high-level talks um, particularly, you know, for instance, with Vice President Kamala Harris when she went down to Mexico. But there is no real direct blunt statement saying, really, we're having Mexico clamp down on migrants coming in, into, um, into Mexican territory. And we're doing that specifically to ensure the arrival of migrants. Uh, you know, certainly, like I said, President Trump was not shy about mentioning that relationship or mentioning the relationship with signing the asylum cooperative agreements with the three northern triangle countries that would send asylum seekers from the U.S.-Mexico border back to uh, these countries, in particular Guatemala, uh, for to, to seek their asylum cases there. The Trump administration did not hide that fact. But the Biden administration certainly, I think, is much more reticent to lean into that. And I think primarily because he doesn't want to have blowback from individuals here in the United States, particularly, you know, the progressives and uh, the more liberal parts of his base who might criticize him for doing um, the same thing as Trump when it comes to uh, regional cooperation on immigration. Right. And obviously, as you know, uh, the Biden administration did move to rescind those asylum cooperative agreements with the Northern Triangle countries. Uh, and I'm curious, though, as how is, has your view of Biden's stances toward immigration and you know, foreign policy where it's relevant to immigration changed from what he said during the campaign to what he's actually done as president? It seems like a lot of what we're talking about is his messaging and concerns about you know framing it in different ways. Sort of, do you feel like he's acted differently than he said he would? Yeah, I think the, the I think the key issue really is that um, you know coming into his administration. I think President Biden had a clear set of policy priorities that he wanted to pursue in immigration. Uh, one is comprehensive immigration reform legislation. Part of it's undoing what President Trump did during his four years in power, um, and then new, introducing new policies through executive actions uh, to sort of address his different immigration policy priorities. I think the key issue is that um, you know, although he came in and he issued, for instance, various executive orders to sort of undo what President Trump did and propose new policies on the border and regional cooperation, the moment that you saw the you know the the numbers of encounters increasing at the U.S.-Mexico border, um, all of a sudden it sort of went all that planning went out the window, and the administration kind of was caught flat-footed and didn't really respond. And so in a way, they're sort of trying to play catch up with what's happening at the border and then trying to sort of figure a messaging strategy around that. Um, you know, if we lived in an alternate universe where they came in recognizing that, you know, border encounters were increasing, and then that would have been the, their primary goal to manage that. 
Um, I think that they could have come in saying, this is the challenge that we're facing, and this is how we're going to respond, and this is how it aligns with what I promised to campaign on. And instead, though, they're kind of you know trying to play catch up with a very fluid and dynamic component of migration in the region, and then trying to message around it. So I think that that's the issue is that they're playing catch up um, with and understandably, I think the key thing is that, you know, the, you have to respect the border and migration to the border into Mexico. You can't control it. It will change from year to year. We've seen that. Uh, and it's dynamic. And anybody who thinks you can kind of, you know, message your way around responding to these flows instead of coming in with an idea of what you're going to do, uh, you're going to you know be playing a lot of catch up because, you know, uh, migration doesn't care who's in office. Migration will do what it will do. And people will come here um, based on their own interests and their motivations. Um, and I think that's a lesson that no administration has really learned, um, you know, over the last few decades. Yeah. And what do you think the Biden administration's goals are with Title 42? You say they're playing a lot of catch up right now. Um, like, what? why do you, you know, what do you think they're trying to achieve here? And like, how successful have they been? Like, are, are we seeing any successes or improvements? I think the the idea is that they're keeping the policy to try to deter our rivals. And I think the logic that they have um, is that if they switch to processing, um, us, you know, processing individuals under a process of expedited removal, which allows the U.S. to remove individuals and deport them without having to go through the immigration court process for a removal, which is normally what you do. Expedited removal can, can do this a lot more quickly. Um, with expedited removal, you can, can ask for a credible fear test to try to seek asylum in the U.S. And I think that, um, I think the Biden administration is kind of buying into what the Trump administration viewed, which is that these are the pull factors and individuals are going to you know, ask for the credible fear test so they can come into the United States during the duration of their cases, and then they will disappear into the country. And the Trump administration created for, you know, the migrant protection protocols and these other policies to eliminate these quote-unquote loopholes. Um, you know, that's an entire separate issue, but I think that the Biden administration is buying into that a little bit. And I think that, you know, they're willing to maintain this policy, uh, at least to not try to attract more individuals. The irony of this, of course, is that because Title 42 does not have immigration penalties, you know, if you get expelled under Title 42, um, you will stay, you'll remain admissible to enter the United States. That's not the case if you're removed under expedited removal. Um, that's actually generated the, the, the incentives for people to actually do repeat border crossings. Um, and this is a pattern that we saw in the 80s and 90s when we would voluntarily remove somebody from the U.S.-Mexico border, largely single Mexican men, re remove them through voluntary return to Mexico, and then you know, there would be repeat border crossings. We're seeing that happening right now. So it's interesting that we're talking about Title 42 as a deterrence policy, but in fact, it incentivizes repeat border crossings by specific populations, largely single adults. And so in a way, it's kind of a, a policy that works counter to, its, to itself, um, that on one hand, well, we can't allow asylum seekers to come through, and this, if we end this policy, more people will come. At the same time, the policy is also creating incentives for repeat border crossings. So in a way, uh, both the Trump administration and the Biden administration are pursuing a policy 
that actually doesn't really promote a quote-unquote secure border. What it does is it tries to deter asylum seekers from coming in, but doesn't exactly go and say, this is a humane and orderly way to, to maintain the border. It, it actually doesn't do that in the end uh, because of these recidivist crossings. Democrats are about to embark on an effort to pass a pathway to citizenship for millions of undocumented immigrants through the budget reconciliation process. How is this, you know, political back and forth on the border infiltrating or influencing efforts like that one to revise other areas of the U.S. immigration system, which you know hasn't gotten a real update in decades? Yeah, there's so there's multiple channels on the hill um, of what's trying to be done in immigration. On the in the case with reconciliation. I think the idea is that you've seen advocates on the left and Democrats kind of saying, well, we don't want to make any concessions at all on immigration. Like, we do not want to make uh, concessions on border security. Um, we don't want to make any concessions on interior enforcement. We just want to legalize individuals without compromise. And the reconciliation is sort of the, the the path to push legalization through reconciliation is sort of the, the ultimate expression of that because Democrats can include that without making any concessions on these other issues that have been part of efforts to reform the immigration system through big comprehensive packages that get bipartisan support. So, it, you know, it's interesting that they're trying to avoid the border issue. Um, but, you know, the question is if they get legalization done, and that's a big if, if the parliamentarian rules that, you know, it's incidental to the federal budget, which is part of the, the bird rule for for these, um, for reviewing uh, reconciliation bills, um, you know, will will they get some sort of blowback and say, like, well, you're not doing anything on the border? Um, that's certainly the possibility, and I wouldn't be surprised if Republicans leaned into that. Um you know, at the same time, you know, there are bipartisan talks that are happening in the Senate. Um, and, and what you see there is the same sort of this impasse where um, folks on the right want to completely restrict asylum on the U.S.-Mexico border. Folks on the left don't really want to make any concessions on border security. Um, you know, and, and there's sort of these different policy priorities and trying to come up with a bipartisan compromise. But it just seems like either side, really with what's happening on the border, has forced people to sort of hunker down in their positions and not trying to find a way to actually address what's happening at the border. To be sure, you know, you have seen some senators, in particular, Kristen Sinema and John Cornyn, Kristen Sinema, Democrat from Arizona, John Cornyn, Republican from Texas, put together a, a bill called the Bipartisan Border Solutions Act that tries to actually improve the processing of vulnerable populations at the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, and it's interesting because the bill isn't really totally security focused, as you have seen with other bills, but it still got blasted from the left and the right because it wasn't sufficiently tough on border security. That's what the right said. And the left said, well, this doesn't have due process protections. It might impact border communities. It, you know, it was actually a solid bipartisan bill and it still didn't get credit. And I think that that's largely because the border has hypercharged the intensity of the polarization on the hill around immigration. Um, but I, ultimately, at the end of the day, I think if, if you're going to try to do something on immigration, Democrats can't run away from the border. Mm -hmm. And when you mentioned, you know, concessions to Republicans, I think, you know, one of obviously the things about budget reconciliation is it's a process that allows measures that directly impact the federal budget to pass on a party line vote. And so in the Senate, you know, that means no, no Republican votes would be needed. Democrats could pass it without them. Do you think that Democrats need to include some funding for border security? You know, assuming the Senate parliamentarian does decide that 
you know, own immigration provisions, legalization provisions can go through budget reconciliation under Senate rules. Do you think that Democrats need to include funding for border security to, you know, be able to have unanimous support from their own party or to, you know, show the American people they're on top of this? So Democrats are kind of already doing this uh, in the sense of just saying, well, we can include uh, measures that are non-controversial for us that we want to include. Um, and I think, you know, that's that's a step to address this issue in terms of how we're going to address the border. Um, but if you're sort of seeing the internal politics on the left with the Democrats and the advocates, some advocates aren't terribly happy that they're including this because they feel like this should be a clean focus on legalization, that there's, you shouldn't include anything else. Um, at the same time, it's you know it wouldn't surprise me that moderate senators like Kristen Sinema and John Manchin and other moderates wanted to include a, a component to be able to say, well, we're addressing the border through this small way, but in a meaningful way. And so I think it's a question of, it, it's already in there, but I do think that there's the apprehensions about it. And I think that the, the, the venue to sort of see how this plays out is going to be the House, where you're seeing moderates and progressives sort of jockeying against each other to say, you know, how are the, what they're going to vote on and when they're going to vote on, if they're going to do the bipartisan bill or the reconciliation bill. I wouldn't be surprised to sort of see this discussion around that inclusion of that border funding to maybe be part of that mix um, as you're sort of seeing this contention between like how much should we address the border and how should we do it in the House. But, you know, again, more broadly, you know, Democrats can, if they pass, if, if it passes muster with the bird rule for both asks, they can say, we also voted on improving the border. Um, and maybe that'll get some, you know, some some traction with the American public. It might not, but it is a talking point. And it's also a necessary reform, so it's not necessarily bad. But I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't get credit from Republicans. But I think the key thing is they're, they're going to have to navigate the coalition, particularly in the House, um, and I think that that's where we're going to sort of see some contention around the inclusion of this border funding in the reconciliation bill. In terms of, you know, other political stakes and, you know, talking points for the American people, how do you see this border situation playing out for Democrats during the 2022 midterms? You know, that's obviously going to be the next, you know, big test of how the American people are seeing the Democratic Party now that they, you know, control the White House and both chambers of Congress. I really do think that this is one of those areas where I, I, I see this being reported on here in DC, people talking about it without, and they think it's being spoken by people who don't look at the numbers, don't know the history, don't know that anything can change with the border very quickly. You know, I think one thing, for instance, in 2017, we had really historically low numbers of migration, largely because people were saying, well, it's a Trump effect. He's tucking tough on immigration. It's really low. Maybe that'll stay low. Next thing you know, by 2018, 2019, those numbers, you know, completely reversed and, and, and increased significantly. And, and I think that this is the point that nobody seems to get. People are sort of assuming what happens this year on, on migration into Mexico and the U.S.-Mexico border is going to be the same next year. And I think that's just simply wrong. So I guess a lot, you know, remains to be seen. And, you know, this is an incredibly complex topic and one we could probably talk about for hours. But unfortunately, we are out of time. Um, thank you so much, Chris, for coming on. Um, I really appreciate your thoughts on this. Thank you. Thank you. 